Gentlemen, a series of conversation between men for men to talk about taboo subjects like emotion, behavior, culture, and mental health, just to name a few, in hopes to encourage men to embrace their authentic self and reclaim their emotional being. So join me to bring back the gentle in men. Uh, we're here at the um, Gentleman Show, which is dedicated for men to embrace their authenticity and understand that there is a, an emotional side to every being that they need to be a part of and they will get to the balance uh, within themselves by tapping into their masculinity and feminine side of them and with it they will reach their um, harmony. Um, the show is dedicated for men uh, where we have gentlemen like uh, Fahad who is my guest today and this is the idea behind tapping into subjects, topics and conversations that is meant to be spoken about and I would love to introduce my guest today Fahad uh, Sarwani who is a dear friend before everything and a spiritual teacher and um, I'll let him introduce himself and I would like to start with um, by thanking you being here in the chapter two of Gentlemen. Thank you Hamid for having me it's really a pleasure to be a part of this initiative I think it's a wonderful initiative uh, so my name is Fahad Sarwani like you said I'm uh, just turned 40 Mashallah. father of four kids Alhamdulillah I have three beautiful daughters and a son um, I've, um, you know, just a little bit about my background. I, um, uh, we come from a, like Pakistani roots. Uh, so my grandfather moved to Bahrain many, many years ago. He set up what um, was the toy store of the time, nice. novelty stores. I don't know if, if you were around uh, for that or not, but the older generation would know what I'm talking about. It was okay. the toy store and the um, gift shop of the region, basically, right? Oh. Like the Toys R Us of the region of yeah, that time, yeah? Yeah, like I remember one was called Ajib. Uh, I think that's <laughs> yeah. one in Manama. We yeah. grew up yeah. knowing exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we were, uh, you know, born Bahrainis. Alhamdulillah, I've been here my entire life. Um, and, um, yeah, went to IKNS, private schooling, um, and then went on to study uh, in the U.S., graduated from New York City, uh, did my MBA. Then things turned around and I did a four-year Sharia degree. Nice. Um, so yeah, here alhamdulillah. Bahrain, yeah, yeah, here in Bahrain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, um, and now I'm a banker. I work for uh, a, a bank here in Bahrain. And uh, as a part-time passion, I am also a certified life coach. Nice. Slash spiritual teacher specifically with the Quran I've been obsessed with uh, the Quran as a as a holy text and I've been researching that for the past 15 years so my interest in self-development spirituality healing and self-development is what kind of uh, is where I'm at right now you know that's beautiful yeah. man mm -hmm. um, since you told me like um, you come from some sort of a culture tradition and then um, you kind of um, got into a different environment, which is, let's say, um, the private schooling, you know, like, I just want to make sure that um, I don't want to be um, biased to anything or uh, criticize anything. But at the end of the day, 
um, let's say you have a certain mentality where um, your parents been raised and um, coming here, was, was there any um, difference in that? And with it, um, the way the, they've been, they raised you up, going to another school, let's say private school, um, at that point, before you go to the States, because each and every phase of that, I'm sure it impacts you as a person differently. Could you touch upon that, please? Yeah, so you definitely have like this um, identity crisis, right? At some stage back in school, I remember the stigma of, uh, oh, I'm not a pure Bahraini. And okay. uh, the fact that, oh, you know how people look down upon like Asians and Indians and Pakistanis. And uh, unfortunately, that racism is there in society, in this part of the world, at least, Yani. Um, although some people don't like to hear this, but that's the sad and, uh, you know, reality How out there. How were you able to cope up with that? So I think, um, you know, that made me get the courage to be who I am, you know, like, okay. and um, instead of hiding away, and this is something that we're trying to instill in our children, me and my wife today, right, Inshallah. is the fact that, listen, you have Pakistani roots, you... Um, need to accept that and be proud of it. And there's nothing to be ashamed of that uh, doesn't make you less of a person. Yeah. And uh, I think I was blessed with friends who um, appreciated that, you know, and they basically accepted that and uh, supported me along the way. That's I didn't feel left out. I didn't feel like I need to change the way I, the way I am, the way I speak. They all, all knew my parents. They, they would come over and have biryani with us at home. and. Uh, the spicy food and you know my nice. friends loved like uh, there's a specific dessert that my mom makes with uh, guava and like really spicy guava with bananas and my friends still <laughs> no, today some of them right uh, they just uh, they can't forget that I mean Most really good stuff yeah amazing. so I think um, uh, it also gave them my friends an opportunity to um, be exposed to a different kind of culture also, right? Nice. And for them, this was interesting. But yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And, uh, you know, we're working on that with our children right now. Hello, hello. Is your wife uh, Pakistani? Yeah, she's, she's also my first cousin. Okay. okay. And, but she I brought her from Pakistan. Okay. So she used to live in Lahore. And I thought that uh, for me, culture was, a, you know, uh, something that I value a lot. And I felt by marrying my cousin, um, this would bridge the culture like and my family back yeah. home right because with time we tend to kind of disconnect yes. and distance yeah. each other right and so this really strengthened the ties between me and my you know cousins and families and yeah, yeah we, we you know of course pre-corona we used to go back and forth a lot and um, yeah so I think it's uh, it's wonderful to bridge that and it just makes you more diverse and exposed to different cultures and I think when one can cope with that and and be their true self, you know, uh, not being ashamed of your name or your background or your nationality or your tongue. I mean, you know, sometimes they have these questionnaires where they ask you, what's your mother tongue? I actually don't know what my mother tongue is because <laughs> it's not English, it's not Arabic, and it's not Urdu, right? <laughs> but I speak all three fluently, alhamdulillah. I, uh, I can uh, read all three, alhamdulillah. Uh, the only thing is I can't write Urdu, but I can read Urdu at least, okay. yani. I'm sure you see, write Arabic? Yeah, of course. Uh, Arabic and English, <laughs> yani, fluent, alhamdulillah. But yeah, I mean, I can watch Bollywood movies and like yeah. without translation and subtitles, so that's good. Well, we, we come down to we're all sons of Adam. Absolutely. Yeah, so Absolutely. we're all one, yeah. and I totally believe that. Um, 
so we get to the point where I'm just, I wanted to uh, ask one more question. Um, were you always been here? Like you're born and raised in Bahrain? Mm. So, so I was, since I told you the family business was GCC wide. Yeah. So the, my father's brothers were stationed in different countries from, from UAE to Qatar to Bahrain and others. Uh, so my dad was stationed in Abu Dhabi when I was born. So I was actually born in Abu Dhabi. Okay. Um, stayed there for six years, went to nursery there and then moved to Bahrain uh, in 1980. So for six years I was in Abu Dhabi. But I was born with a Bahraini nationality, okay, yeah. Okay. But I, I don't remember like much from from those six years. Yeah. So I I consider Bahrain home. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, so we got to know so where you come from. You've been here. Um, the let's say some sort of a challenge until you've created your circle. Um, I I kind of hate that you mentioned that the racism was always there. But at the end of the day, um, it's there's no denial, you know, mm-hmm. um, but alhamdulillah, I overcome that because you showed truly who Fahad is. Mm-hmm. And I believe that as long as you know wear the mask, people tend to see through it, you know, and that's the beauty of um, seeing people soul to soul. That's where the bond kind of mm-hmm. builds. Um, so we understood that Fahad, we, so we, under, we know who Fahad was until the point that he actually um, uh, decided on going to continue his education in the States. Um, tell us more about that. Mm-hmm. Like, who was Fahad before he goes? And what kind of, um, let's say, uh, perspective changed when you were there? Right. So since school days, I've, um, I, I would say one of my core values would have been excellence, right? Um, I mean, you know, I wouldn't study too hard, but still like get good grades, alhamdulillah. I tried to be a good son to my parents, tried to be a good brother. I had three, sis- three sisters, alhamdulillah, I'm the only son. So uh, there was a sense of being also responsible from a young age, you know. But uh, just an example of excellence, right, is um, I took on tennis as, uh, at the age of eight. Mm-hmm. And alhamdulillah, you know, uh, have represented Bahrain in the national team. Inshallah. Uh, we played Davis Cup. Yeah, so by 2001, I was actually ranked uh, number one in Bahrain. I oh, won so. the Bahrain Open. So um, this was, um, yeah, so this was cool, you know. It kept me fit and, and out of trouble, you know, because when you're, it was basically school, come back home, have, do lunch, and then go play tennis, yeah. come back, have dinner, and sleep. So I didn't have time to get in trouble, Mischief. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that came, you know, uh, at college basically. But uh, yeah, so I enjoyed the travel. I enjoyed because um, you know, being on the national team, you get to travel, you get to yes. play tournaments during schooling season, like during during yes. the semester. So how old were you at that point? So I started when I was eight, okay, all the way up till um, you know when I was twenty. Technically, you know, I, I was playing competitive tennis. Nice. That I was even blessed to be. Um, I I actually got rewarded at. A tennis and athletic scholarship to go and play in the United States. So yeah, and it was a full scholarship. Like so, my parents were really proud of that. Um, but this has nothing to do with the going and studying in the states. Or? Yeah, it does because that okay, was the okay. trigger, right? Nice, um, nice. So um, um, if you don't mind, yeah, before we sure, sure, actually sure. talk, tap yeah. and like, I, I'm, I'm, I love the um, the doorway of um, tag um, the the idea of understanding or op- being open to different cultures. So sure. you said you traveled a lot. Yeah. So just tap onto that, man. Yeah, mm. I, I love how you develop 
a new idea, a new perspective every time you kind of get to know more about different cultures. Could you just tap into that a little bit? Yeah, so what was interesting about the tennis scene back then, it was located in Isa Town. Okay. Um, in a, in an, uh, I don't know if you remember the old stadium, yeah, right? Definitely. Which is now actually a parking lot, right? unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> right? But um, back then, you know, tennis was funded well. Um, you know, His Majesty the King would be playing tennis. And so it was, it was a popular sport. It was a posh sport. Mm-hmm. My dad himself used to play badminton, but he wanted me into another racket sport. So I tried out tennis. And um, what was interesting about that, uh, the demographics of that area, like Isatown, was that most of the players that would come and play were, would be the, the um, mischief kind of boys on the streets of Isatown, okay. right? Shabab al-Medina, as yeah. they call them, right? <laughs> and um, so it was really interesting for me coming from like a, a private schooling background to play and associate and make friends with people who were literally Shabab al-Medina, you know? So I, I got exposed to that aspect of society, which was wonderful because, uh, first of all, it makes you humble also. Uh, the fact that, you know, there are people who are living in, um, you know, let's say very conservative kind of means, who for them, this sport was an opportunity to make a career of themselves. This was an opportunity for them to earn a living. You know, when you, we traveled, it, we, they'd give us like pocket money, and like when you're a kid and you get like a hundred dinar pocket allowance money, for like allowance like and stuff, or yeah. you get sponsorship from Head or from like Nike or Reebok, that's like, it's, it's big, cool. Man. It makes you feel, you know, really good about it. So yeah. um, that was really, really interesting. The fact that first of all, ha- making friends and playing together with, with that segment of society, right? Which today we're still in touch. I mean, you know, we, we play together and we're like brothers. So that was uh, very humbling for me. Because sometimes, you know, when you're in a specific part of society, you kind of neglect and con- yeah. are disconnected from that other segment of society, right? And I don't want to say lower class, but I'm just saying that kind of segment of society, yeah. right? Yeah. The underprivileged. Um, yeah, f- so for them, it was a means of earning a, an income, a career, a sense of recognition, a sense of accomplishment. And we played together and, you know, we traveled. I mean, funds weren't that kind of... Um, they were limited in terms of like funding needs. So we, we traveled the Arab world. Okay. Yes, we went to Thailand. We went like, uh, I think that's as far out we, we went. But um, we did play in the Davis Cup. I played in uh, the Asian Games. So yeah, we didn't make it to the Olympics. But um, uh, alhamdulillah, it was a beautiful experience being exposed to a different segment of society, first mm-hmm. of all, and representing a country together, right? Regardless of your sect or your background or your nationality, right? We were all representing one flag, one nation. Yeah. And um, and even when it came to like playing and competing with other countries of the GCC and the Arab world, yes, we'd compete, but then we'd be friends with them, you know? So a lot of them are, are still friends of mine, you know? Yeah. Uh, from that's about sportsmanship. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it teaches you teamwork. I think yeah. that I learned teamwork from a young age. Um, got exposed to different uh, Arabic kind of cultures, whether it's Egypt or Algeria or Tunis or even like Akhwan Nafil Khalid, you know, the GCC, our brothers. Um, so yeah, I think that was a wonderful kind of uh, addition to my experiences. Nice, nice. Yeah. Let's uh, go to the States right now. Yeah. So I got my scholarship, full scholarship, to play in a private school in uh, Division Two. You know, in the U.S., you have Division One, which is like all the pros, and then you have Divi- Division Two and Division Three. So I went in Division Two as the number one player there, 
full scholarship, private school, uh, private college, Lynn University in, in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, which is one of the poshest uh, cities um, so, in Florida. Um, 45 minutes away from Miami, so that was not bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, There's another side for, for that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, but unfortunately, because I was number one, I had to play with other number ones of other teams on the weekends. Yeah. And sometimes it would be home or away. And I lost every single match. Okay. Because being number one in Bahrain, like maybe it sounded nice on a CV, but when you play against number one of other colleges, right? I mean, it was like 15 year olds, 16 year olds would like be beating me easy and. Uh, the, the coach was obviously very upset and, and he didn't renew my contract. So I had to either come back to Bahrain or transfer to another college. And that's okay. where I transferred to New York City. And um, why is that, if you don't mind me asking? Um, like, just tell me, um, so you were good here. Yeah. Is it because the kind of challenge you, you had to face here that was, that put, like, uh, I don't want to say there wasn't a lot of good players, but I just want to make sure, like, um, why is that was difficult for you to actually compete with these and mm. um, get the same kind of skill set that you have here against them? You could utilize, I mean, use it. Yes, I think it's uh, the, the main reason is lack of exposure to that okay. level of players, right? Okay. So okay. Um, we were exposed to the Arab region players, right? Which is, is great, but it's still limited, right? When you um, all of a sudden go and play against a European player or someone from you know uh, North America, or Canada, or wherever, or Australia, like, it's a completely different league, a different okay, level, right? Okay. So in terms of uh, ex match experience, in terms of physical strength, in terms of body build, like, they were like giants compared to me, you know? I don't know what they eat there, but uh, <laughs> it was completely like a different ball game, right? Where, yes, if we would hit together, like practice casually, like hit a, a ball, yeah, I can, I can play for an hour with them, right? At that speed. Yeah. But when it comes to a match, it's a completely different... Uh, okay. So I think lack of match experience and exposure to that level and, you know, ev and, you know even height, you know, like nutrition, um, you know, body strength. I would uh, say like they were, they were invested in exactly. yeah, more than yeah, and maybe... You know, those countries, they invest in sports yeah, yeah. Uh, much more than here. Okay. Um, but it was an eye-opener because I used to think of tennis as a career and education would be like a side Secondary, thing. But then yeah. going there and losing my contract made me realize, wait a second, I need to shift back to education. Okay. Tennis can be a hobby now. And so um, I did get uh, another uh, opportunity to play yeah. uh, Division Three this time Division, so okay. yeah, in New York City. So this makes you, that's kind of made you... Um, let's say face people like on your level exactly. at that point. Yeah, and 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 Division Three in New York City, I won pretty much every single also. match. So I was most valuable player but of the season. Also. If you don't mind me, um, yeah. this might be a little bit personal. Sure. How did it affect you on a personal level? Coming before you get there, you were ranked as number one. Mm. I mean, I'm sure that fed into your ego a lot. Yeah. And going there in Division Two, um, how did that affect you? Actually, you know. Um, I found it uh, a bit disappointing, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't expect it to be that much of a gap. Okay. It was an eye-opener, but I did feel that it was an opportunity for me to improve my game. Okay. Being in a team with other players who were higher than me in terms of levels, um, I think it was a good humble check also, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes, subhanAllah, you know, these things fall into place for you to learn a lesson that, you know what, and you know your place. So I think... Um, I handled it 
pretty well. I didn't give up. I, yeah. I, I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going back to Bahrain and it's over, right? Yeah. No, I, I continued like applying for other colleges and uh, I actually got several opportunities, nice. but decided nice. to choose New York City because of New York City, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so You yeah. mentioned the mindset. Um, could you just um, tell us what kind of um, helped Fahad at that point have, yeah, you have that kind of a mindset because I know for a fact if, let's say, if I was in your place, I'm not going to lie, I might be very disappointed, mm-hmm. maybe broken as well, because I know for a fact that uh, my younger me was not that developed mentally. Mm-hmm. So what helped you? I mean, could you just um, mm-hmm. rephrase, I mean, relive that moment and yes. tell us who fat was back then? Sure. So I think uh, just kind of besides my my core value of excellence, I yeah. think another aspect of that would be uh, never giving up, right? Okay. I, th- I took this from my uh, father, okay. Allah Rahman. He passed Allah. away about 15 years ago. Uh, but, you know, seeing them also, and this is taking you guys back to uh, school, right? Yeah. So, like I told you, the business of the family was doing really well. It was at its peak in terms of GCCY, but then it came to a fall. Okay. So I saw really tough times financially during my school years. Even moments where like, or times where like we couldn't pay the school fees and you know, uh, my father going to debt and that kind of stuff. So I saw financial struggle, uh, I, like eye to eye, right? Yeah. And I saw my father uh, in the lowest moments of his financial life, right? Never giving up and, and willing to kind of do whatever it takes to stand up on his feet and get back together. So I think those values were instilled in me and, and, and I carried them with me throughout that, experience of like for example you know losing my contract and um so this attitude of never giving up has always been with me in tennis like even in terms of a match right i wouldn't give up until the last point is over um but at the same time in general it made me kind of more resilient to um shocks or moments in life where like you are defeated simply and you just basically get back on your feet and 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 do whatever else you can it's beautiful, man. Yeah. Um, so you went to New York right then, and how was it? Yeah, so New York, um, wonderful city. I mean, uh, beautiful experience. Our college was, uh, it's a business college called Baruch College in Midtown. Um, wonderful experience, and, and uh, I think what I liked about New York was the multicultural aspect mm-hmm. of the city, right? Uh, and... You know, one of the things that my parents instilled in me at a very young age was prayer, right? I mean, you can go to the club, but at least pray Isha and then go to the club, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and even in the morning, I remember, like, before school, you wash, wash up, whatever, brush your teeth and everything, and then pray, and then have breakfast, and then go to school. It was, like, built into our routine, alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I give credit to my parents, especially my mother for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the first things I did was when I went to um, New York was find the MSA, which is known as the Muslim Student Association. Uh, it's a small room where you basically pray, right? So you go in and pray. And I thought it was just going to be prayer and then I'm out to my next class. But then when I started getting introduced to some of these, like we had Chinese Muslims there. We had Muslims from Australia. We had Muslims from Japan, Muslims from Pakistan and India and, and Palestine and Algeria. And it was just incredible to kind of be exposed to other Muslims. And we all came together, different mm-hmm. backgrounds, and we came to pray. And then guess what? 
Beyond that, we would talk about Islam. We would talk about uh, Quran and like the Prophet Sallallahu and uh, we would also kind of uh, attend events. I mean, they would like you know during breaks and stuff between classes. Uh, what's really nice about colleges there? They actually fund these clubs. Uh, with a budget to do activities and stuff. So they would have a pizza party and they would invite a speaker to come and talk about Islam, right? Yes. In like um, an American accent, which for me was new because like Bahrain, we would attend khutbah with my, you know, um, blessed father. I would attend Jum'ah khutbah, Friday prayers. But I would walk in and it was, I don't, there's an accounting term called last in, first out, LIFO, right? Yeah. So we would be the last people in. First people out, right? So that's the best way to kind of get your Jum'ah and then out, right? Because there was a disconnect. With all due respect to, you know, our khutaba and our preachers, but just the language barrier being, you know, also the education background, my advantage of English over Arabic and stuff. So being exposed to that was eye-opening. And this was a big slap in my face because if you recall, excellence has always been a value in my life, right? And here there was an, a new, new area of, of, of life which I was pretty much failing in. I had no idea what was Islam. I had no idea like why I was praying. I was praying, but why was I praying? What's the purpose of prayer? I had no idea about the stories of the prophets, no idea about what Surah Al-Fatiha means. I memorized a couple of short surahs, but what do they mean? What are the deeper realities of these? And so that for me, it was a nice slap in the face, I would say, because it gave me that energy that yeah. I don't know where, it, of course it came from God, right? But this hunger and thirst to want to learn this and be able to kind of excel in this also, right? This was one area where, that, where I was failing and it was probably the most important area that was being neglected all this life, right? So my plans were to go to New York to continue partying but subhanAllah, being exposed to these people, right, it was a detour of plans. And so how old were you? How I was old um, you to 20, 20. 20. And you didn't have that kind of uh, organizations or, um, let's say, groups in the first university? No. Okay. Um, uh, I think it because wasn't New York there. is much uh, more exactly. uh, culturally open. Yeah. I okay. mean, we had a couple of Arab friends and we would go to Friday prayers and stuff, but it was just limited to that. Yeah, and then yeah. we'd go to Miami on the weekends, you know. But uh, for me, um, New York was different. New York, um, I don't know if you've heard of Nu'man Ali Khan, right? Yeah, very famous preacher on YouTube. So he studied in the same college. And, you know, we basically would eat samosas together and talk about Quran. And um, I think you uh, even got him to Bahrain. Yeah, so right? he's been my guest many times in Bahrain. Just, and, uh, yeah, we'll tap into that, man. Exactly, he's he's yeah. a very important person to me as well. But I remember one of the key figures there was an imam named Imam Siraj Al-Wahaj, right? Uh, African-American. Um, like think of like Tupac or Dr. Dre with like a long beard and a cap, right? And he would give his khutbah, I mean, extremely powerful speaker, people like, you know, you know Malcolm X yeah, and Martin yeah. Luther King, that kind of speaker, right? When with he speaks, you, like, you get goosebumps. Exactly, say, yeah, it just yeah. penetrates through your heart. Nice. And I would listen to his tapes earlier on before going to uh, America, right? But Nothing I else. knew that he was giving khutbah. It was a long ride away. I mean, I had to travel for at least an hour and a half by yeah. train to make it in time for his khutbah and sit in the front row. And it was just unbelievable. I mean, to listen to, because, you know, I, I would 
I have memorized all these rap songs, right? Dr. Dre, Tupac, yeah. and Snoop yeah. Dogg. And so for me to listen to Islam and Quran and Sunnah being, uh, being talked in that accent was like, it was, I was finally getting it. It finally made sense. And I was just completely hooked to this thing, right? And yeah, I mean, I started my journey of memorizing Quran, studying, reading, which I hated, right? Like, I mean, back in school, I hated reading. Um, I remember like part of the English curriculum back in school was that you read for 15 minutes, right? Every single year. It's, a, it's supposed to be a different book every semester. But I would play a trick on the teachers and I would like, it was always the same book because like the <laughs> teachers would change, right? So how would they know that this is a new book? I still remember the book was Matilda by Ro Roald Dahl, right? Okay. It was the same book for every... <laughs> so I've literally memorized that book. But then, so this like, so my love for reading like was a new spark right and um of course back then we didn't have internet as much right there was internet but it wasn't like a source of knowledge but yeah so reading reading and just taking in as much as i can was yeah. beautiful man um i want to emphasize on something that's really important uh, most of us in the arab culture are born muslims and not by choice mm -hmm. and Similar to you, I was a born Muslim. I had to uh, practice all the rituals of Islam because I didn't know why I had to do it. And I, because my parents were doing it, and sometimes they whip my ass if I don't do it. Mm. So I would, I would do it because I was forced to. It took me a long, long, long time mm. until I got to the point where I understood why I do it. And this is something that you emphasized beautifully on is because... Uh, my advantage, again, in English, um, I've been studying English my, my whole life. I was trying to, I mean, to avoid Arabic. I chose um, French as a second language over Arabic. So I kind of, uh, let's say, my whole teenage years, I didn't even study Arabic. Um, going, th like going through school, I tried to avoid as much as I could. Um, and that's why I wasn't very interested in the Arabic language. Every time I tried to read Quran or I tried to understand, I wasn't able to understand. My mind analyzes things in English way better and processes things way better in English. Um, so that's only when I tapped into uh, Mufti Monk, Nu'man, mm. and I started, it opened it, like it opened my mind mm. into something that, as you mentioned, like we were able to feel lyrics mm. and this was the same exact thing when i was being able to understand words of quran from these preachers yeah. and it made sense mm -hmm. that is when i was like you know what this is all part of what i believe and it started aligning with my values and it made me more closer and closer and i know it took me a long time to get to that but um the minute I did tap into it, it opened a huge door of possibilities. And with it, I walked into the choice of being a Muslim. Um, I loved like how you put it and the, the idea of like um, it got you to understand it. And, um, and I'm sure a lot of people could relate to it because we tend to memorize lyrics hearing it once or twice. Mm. But... When it comes to um, our religion, it's really hard to do that. I, I mean, um, I'm sure it's because a lot of people don't understand it. So, 
Like I, I'm really thankful you've mentioned that because this relates to my personal story. Um, just walk us through right after that. Like you've, you've, this is the phase where you tapped into um, the spiritual side of you. Um, so we we understood that you um, went there for studying, but it opened like um, the door of possibility of getting into the spiritual side. What happened next? Uh, like ever after you finished and uh, moved here. Mm. Yeah, so just to, to kind of take a few steps back, uh, one of the weekends in Miami, I remember I was with a couple of friends from the Gulf, and we were in one of these clubs, right, that stays open till like 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, one of the, like, and, and this club had like different rooms. So you had like the R&B room, the reggae room, and like the Arabic kind of room, you know. <laughs> So in one of the techno rooms, I think it was, um, there was this music being played, really good music. But then all of a sudden, um, we hear in the music, like the adhan. Like it, so the artist had like used the adhan as a form of like music in the midst of a techno uh, song, right? And I still remember that moment. We were in the club, there's all these lights, people dancing and, you know, all sorts of stuff happening. I was in my senses, alhamdulillah, you know. uh, But I remember looking at the eyes of my, like, other Bahraini friend, right? And we were both like, OMG, you know, what's what's going on? Um, Where are we? What are we doing, you know? And so I remember that, for me, was um, a wake-up call. Like, what are you doing with your life? Uh... Where are you heading? You know, what is your direction? And so I think going to New York was Allah's answer of that question, right? It gave me clarity. It gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of direction that this is where I want to go, right? Before that, it was blank, right? Yes, I mean, you get your good grades, hoping to get a good job, getting married, getting a house, getting the car, right? All of that, but then... What, what next, right? Um, and so I think in, in New York City, I found a sense of purpose. Being with these beautiful um, Muslims from all over, the, all over the world, right? We came together with this idea of brotherhood, which I was, I mean, I had friends back in school, right? But we were not, I didn't feel the brotherhood, right? Like I remember, yeah, I still remember in Ramadan, like I was the treasurer of the club. And we would hold these events, like pizza and stuff. And then after the event's over, we'd have pizza, right? Like for iftar and stuff. And I remember being a volunteer, right? Like the volunteers, we would distribute pizza to the guests, but we would never have pizza ourselves. And, and then like the guests would finish all the pizza and we'd be left with like no pizza. And we would still have a smile on our face and we'd still fight with each other on cleaning up the room. You know, this for me was an eye-opener. I mean, this experience was, I, I had never had it before, right? Uh, and so I really um, cherished, like, that brotherhood, right? And, and we would call each other brother Fahad, brother Hamad, sister Fatima, sister Maryam. Yeah. That respect was uh, just phenomenal, you know? And then all of a sudden, of course, 9-11 happens, and I'm, I'm there, and we're, like, a few blocks away from, like, downtown, and... Um, you know, there was a lot of fear, there was a lot of confusion, 
at the same time, this was an opportunity for us to stand up and, and put up stalls and give out pamphlets about the fact that this is not Islam. We have nothing to do with this. And, you know, people would come and, and like, they were more interested about this. And so that preacher side of me, that's where it started, right? It's the idea that, okay, I need to stand up for who I am. I need to defend Islam, not allow any terrorist attack or any crazy idea out there to hijack Islam, right? Yeah. And so, so I think that feels like um, it was preparing for this moment. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but to be able to preach, I'd ha- I'd have to be equipped and to True. have that knowledge. True. And so they say in Arabic, "Faqat al-shay'layati," right? So the one who lacks cannot give. And so, I w- of course, I was limited because I was a beginner back yeah. then, right? But then this also gave me this opportunity, like to turbo showcase, boost, to yeah. even take in more, right? And yeah. to catch up because time is short, and I wanted to come back and get married quickly, and I don't want to get married without having this knowledge, right? And so for me, that was all part of like the motivation of taking in as much as I can, sleeping less, reading more books, you know, attending more lectures, listening to more tapes and talks. And um, yeah, and, and then, you know, it continued even after college, like when after 9-11, of course, my parents want me back home, right? And they're seeing this weird transformation happening in their son, which was another challenge, right? And this fear in my parents that, is Fahad also turning into a, another terrorist, right? <laughs> oh my so um, I had to come back and face <laughs> face that aspect of thing. And yeah. guys, I'm still normal, right? I I'm still cool, right? Yes, I've changed a lot, right? But I accept you. I remember one of my like really wise teachers gave me advice before coming back to Bahrain. He said, uh, "Shut up for two years." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this was like advice like that you can really write in gold because one of the th- first thing that people do when they go through a transformation is they become preachers, yes. they become judgmental, right? And so for me to like shut up literally, right? And, and just observe and accept others, whoever they are, right? And not to like enforce any of my beliefs on anybody, right? So I think yeah. this from a uh, early stage was a blessing, right? This advice. I love that. Huh? To hold on, be non-judgmental, just yeah. be aware be patient and accept people for who they are. And then, but like my hunger to learn more, like you said, your, the gap between English and Arabic was always there. One of the first things I read was an English translation of the Quran, right? Because I wanted to understand what this book says, but I, I always knew that there was something still missing. I wanted to touch the Quran directly. And the only way I would be able to do that was through Arabic. Arabic yeah. And of course I had like a sound Arabic base, right? But then I wanted to go deeper. And that's why I, when I came back, you know, had a job and everything, right? But part-time, I decided to sign up for a Sharia degree. I looked around and there was this part-time program, four years, pure in Arabic, with like the top teachers, the religious teachers in Bahrain. And so it was a great opportunity to learn um, all aspects of religion from that aspect. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's where I come back and, you know, I'm continuing my learning, but now going deep into religion. Nice. Mm. Um, you mentioned like you come from a religious family, mm. and then you come in like conservative, I would say mm. maybe. Um, but when you came back with that mindset, uh, just talk to me through. Like I've seen a lot of transformations yeah. uh, from people from one extreme to another, yeah. and how like they even if their family members were trying to t- get them to pray, get them to uh, uh, do the normal like. Yeah. Um, 
um, rituals of Islam, they weren't doing it before. Right, right now, when they transform, they come in and the family cannot uh, just um, digest that. Yeah. Just talk to me about that a little bit. Right. So, you know, it's actually tricky to define how religious we were, right? Because, again, you have degrees of yeah. practicing, right? But I, would, I wouldn't label my family as religious. Okay. Like, we didn't, I mean, uh, we would pray. Like, I, don't even remember, I don't even remember if I was praying five times a day, but it was, Fajr was always there, I think Aisha was there. Uh, so, like, one example is we never went for Umrah, like, okay. entire, like, my entire life, like, uh, never thought of even going there or Hajj or anything. And we used to fast just because it's, uh, you know, the born Muslim kind yeah, of attitude, yeah, right? Like, yeah. Okay, you pray because you got to pray, you fast, whatever, but that's it. I mean... Okay. Okay. Uh, so we weren't ultra religious or anything. It was very simple religion. Um, my parents gave me a lot of freedom, which I think was extremely important. Yeah. The freedom to explore the world and to uh, make mistakes. To find you. To find me. I think yeah. that was necessary. The yes. more that they hold on to me, I don't think I would have like had that opportunity. So I think, yeah, letting me explore and whatever and... Um, and so coming back was um, a very big challenge because they weren't that religious, right? And, no, and here yeah, I am with yeah. this transformation and they can yeah. see it a bit with my facial hair and stuff, right? But, um, and my father, like there was a disconnect between me and him, I remember. Like he was disturbed, he was worried because he was a, a liberal, right? Um, and he thought that my son's going to go study abroad, come back and, you know, make money and like, you know... Uh, so that was all his expectations where he didn't have any idea about like the, the religion's part. And of course the worry, and I don't blame them, they were worried about yeah. me getting brainwashed, which is completely, uh, you know, possible, right? Because like, how do you go in, how do you know a person's way of thinking? It's very difficult, right? You can't just go into his heart or his mind and understand. Yeah, I so, always say like, no one, no one, like, I don't know what's going on in your head. Exactly. Like, this is something that's, People always tend to think that you you need to understand me, but like yeah. I say like no one is living in your head. Exactly. So communication is the key. Yes. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. like you're in two different levels right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that bridge was it was very challenging, and um, I think uh, that advice of not speaking too much was wasn't helping actually from their aspect because they want to know yeah. what's up with me, you know. Yeah. And I wasn't talking much. And so, you know, this fear of the unknown, fear of the silent, that khafila min socket, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so um, it wasn't like I was hiding something. It was actually for their benefit. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, but like my teacher also gave me advice. He said, you, be the best son you can be to your parents. Be the best brother you can be. Be the best employee you can be. Be honest, be trustworthy, you know. So let your, pra your practice preach, right? Like, let your talk, like I say, walk the talk, right? Uh, and so I would consume a lot, study a lot, but then speak very little, like, you know. Um, but I was inspired by a lot of these uh, preachers and stuff. And, and um, one of the preachers back then was Amr Khalid. I don't know if you know Amr Khalid, the Egyptian preacher, right? So he would preach to the youth of that time. And he, would, he, he was one of the pioneers of self-development and Islam, right? Nice. I was really inspired by him. I remember 
every Ramadan he'd have a show where he'd talk about different themes, the life of the Prophet, the life of the Sahaba, the companions, um, the four Imams, and like really interesting stuff. I'd, I would look forward to that every Ramadan. I'd be hooked to it. The names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, all these different yeah, themes. Yeah. And I found out one day that this guy, like one of his preach, because I loved his preaching skills, right? He has a funny sound, a funny voice, right? But very um, charismatic. He really engages. And I learned that this guy had uh, was a master in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And so I was like, what in the world is this, right? And so um, I find out that there's this local guy who's teaching this stuff. So I sign up. And this is back in like 2003. And I go there and like, wow, I learn about the mind and the subconscious mind and limiting beliefs and the power of like the mind and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And this is self-development on top of like Quran and like spirituality. I was like, wow, this is really yeah, good stuff. And, yeah. and I want to gain that confidence and that strength to, to overcome my limiting beliefs to like speak up whenever the time is right because I was shut up for that time, right? But this was a time to also sign up for NLP courses and self-development courses. That was the beginning of my self-development uh, journey. Beautiful. Yeah. Allah, that's, that's amazing, man. Yeah. Um, and I love how like you, you kind of take us like step-by-step -step process mm -hmm. where you show everyone goes through phases, you know, like and every one of us, you know, um, need to embrace every phase we're going to because it's just like a foundation that you keep on building up yeah. um there's a lot of people that keep on um, um shaming where they come from not knowing is that that was one of the um, main pillars of the foundation that makes you who you are today yes. so you go to these um to this um, um self-development phase right now uh where did the, that lead you to yeah, so self-development was another whole world, right? And, uh, you know, my attitude was, out of all the things I studied in religion classes, Quran was always the most compelling, right? And so think of that as after graduating from religious studies, Quran was the rope that I kept holding on to. And I would explore self-development, um, uh, read books even from the, you know, writers of the West and stuff, because there's not much written from this part of the world in that field. But this then... Um, made me realize that, wow, I have this talent and ability to listen to people. Mm -hmm. Like I remember back in school, even like I would be the one who had the secrets of like most of the guys, right? Uh, and they would come and open up to me about their problems and I would be the ear that would listen to them. So I had this, for some reason, people open up to me, right? Like we sit for five minutes, they would tell me like <laughs> everything that's inside yeah, would yeah, come yeah, out, yeah. right? So this was a God-given talent, I think. And I wanted to polish that even further. And so I explored life coaching as... Um, a certification, alhamdulillah, I got uh, ICF certified for that. Um, but at the same time, I also thought that community development is important, right? I wanted to bring that experience I had in, the, in, in New York of that brotherhood and sisterhood yeah. And, yeah. and the uh, Siraj Wahaj kind of talks. I want to bring that to Bahrain, but there was no speaker here, right? Yeah. So one example of that would be to invite those speakers here, right? So I set up an organization called Falaq got together a group of volunteers. So we would invite these speakers to come from abroad and, and we'd hold events with 500,000 people coming up. Um, it was a social entrepreneurship project, right? So we charged, but just to break even and that kind of stuff. And, you know, our sponsors would help and that kind of stuff. But then on, on top of that, like inviting speakers, we couldn't do many events, right? I mean, it's not practical. So 
that's where the volunteers, like, they asked me to kind of step up and to be that uh, role model for the youth in Bahrain who would speak in that you know, manner and, and uh, be a local resource, right? And so that's, I think, uh, thanks to my volunteers who, who pushed me pushed to do that, me. was when I um, came on the platform of uh, preaching, okay. right, and teaching. And so, um, yeah, with my coaching degree, with my spiritual, uh, with my Quranic kind of love, we would hold events, and we, you know, one of my favorite events was Quran for family. We would, we would do this every quarter where like six, 800 people would come together and I would teach an entire surah from like start to finish, right? Yeah. So we did like Surah Al-Rahman, um, we did uh, Surah Al-Hujurat, Surah Nuh, like all of these uh-huh. different surahs. Because I, I found the Quran like a treasure and, and I wanted to, like people pay two, three dinars to go and watch a movie for two and a half hours. Yeah. I wanted to do the same, like pay two, three dinars but come and learn about Surah Nuh. Come and learn about Surah Al-Hujurat. And you know, um, Allah has blessed me with like these graphic design abilities. So with presentations and I don't know if you've heard of Zoom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah? So you zoom in and out. And so I would use the, that, those skills to kind of create visual presentations yeah. and to try to kind of show the entire structure of the Surah and how it comes together and how each segment is a different theme and how they all like blend together and make like this. It's like a beautiful pearl necklace where every ayah is connected to the one after it. Because you know, sometimes you read the Quran and it feels like it's jumbled, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they spaghetti, like, right? It like, is kind of related, but the Quran is like, um, it's a story, but at the end of the day, um, they're not put in the like uh, a proper sequence. Exactly. So like, actually they are put in the perfect sequence, is, but yeah. we're not able to see that, right? Sure, and so that sure. was the challenge for me as a teacher is how do I show this in, in two to three hours, right? Because you need a long time, right? And yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. you can't do justice to a surah in two, three hours, right? We can, actually, we can never do justice to understanding the Quran because it's an ocean. That's and cool. our understanding is a drop in that ocean. But just to give them a taste of, and to make them appreciate the Quran more, right? Um, and this is something that the community would come together, mothers, fathers, couples, children would come. We would make the children sit in the, in the, in the front, We'd have a babysitting corner so that mothers would also come. So it was like this weekend hangout. We'd have snacks and stuff. And I just loved like researching and teaching, researching and teaching. And I, you know, um, did a lot of voluntary work with a, a Sunday, a Saturday school here. Like in, in America, they call it Sunday school where like yeah. parents would send their kids to learn about Islam. Nice. Uh, from like nice and, and, and open-minded teachers, right? So we had a similar concept here called WISE weekend Islamic studies education where volunteers would come together and parents would send their kids there and you know we would teach them the moderate Islam you know the the balanced Islam kind of uh, attitude where Islam wants you to become a force for good on earth right to clarify misconceptions to give our children and the youth a sense of purpose in life and to um because with all due respect to the education, like you have Islamic studies as part of yeah. education, but it's it's just one class a week, right? Um, so we wanted to fill that void. And so all of these efforts were just coming together and it was a beautiful kind of uh, journey of like serving the community um, and serving people who wanted even private help, right? And that's where the coaching would come in because you can give a talk for three hours, and but then there's 
800 people and all of them have issues yeah right they and want in-depth work exactly and so that's where my coaching skills would come that's, in that's beautiful um, yeah. yeah um you talked about excellency and never giving up as your uh, values back then what are your values today Right, so um, what's interesting about values is in my coaching practice, I actually use uh, an exercise called core values discovery. Nice. Uh, it's, a, it's a three to four hour process where basically um, the theory behind it is that all core values go back to Allah's beautiful names. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God has infinite attributes, right? But we have been given some of them. Yes. According to some scholars, it's 99 names. Quran, Quran mentions some of them also. Uh, so, for example, um, there is Al Mubin, one of Allah's names, the the Clarifier, right? Um, now, this is the name of Allah, but but it can also be a, va- a core value that's inside of me. So, Al Mubin, to answer your question, is one of my core values, um, and uh, that's what sparks in me that natural kind of hunger and passion to continue reading and studying to seek clarity in life uh, and, and so that's one side of the coin is to seek clarity from Allah being the source but then the other side of the coin is to reflect it contribute it and give this clarity to others now, now that you've gotten it now let it flow out of you in a natural way so it's very humbling I think when we put it this way because number one I'm not giving you clarity from my sure from myself, I have, I'm actually empty. Yeah. And in fact, th- the way it works is, the more empty your cup is, the more Allah will give you, right? So, um, so core, va- like core value number one, definitely Al-Mubin. Um, and then the second one would be um, Allah's name, Al-Wasi', which means open-minded, it means expansion, it means abundance also. And, and from Al-Wasi' comes also, this idea of um, just being open, I think, like being open-minded, right? I wanted to bring that side of Islam. If it's Allah's name, people need to know that Allah's expansive. He's not limited. He's not closing your life. Islam isn't supposed to make you limited. It's not supposed to squeeze you and, and to put you into a prison, in, in right? A box kind of, it's yeah. completely the opposite, right? So these two are the, the big ones, I would say, right? Clarity and... Uh, open, open-mindedness, and and that's why, like, even in my talks, I would make sure that I'm wearing jeans and like, you know, casual and putting on wax and gel and stuff because I want the youth to feel that listen, you can still be spiritual and religious and like look cool, right? You don't have to dress in a certain way. You don't have to yeah. <laughs> change your appearance or anything, right? Because spirituality is an in- inner yes. thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, uh, core. So core values. One of the problem with the way people, number one, people don't understand what core values is. Extremely important, right? Um, number two, the the methodologies out there for discovering your core values, I believe, are flawed, because they go, they take you through a series of exercises where you um, answer a few questions: What makes you happy? What makes you sad? What are the peak moments in your life? What are the troughs in your life? And there's a lot of books written about this, right? But then you come down to these five values. And then they ask you, okay, give yourself a rating out of five, for example, for each of these values. And you would give yourself, let's say, for you, courage is a value, but you're at a two out of five. Let's say one of the values for you is love, but you're like one out of five, right? And so you have these gaps. 
And then what do they what do they tell you? They tell you, okay, good luck. These are your core values. Now, good luck in bringing all of those five core values up to a level of five out of five, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is uh, problematic, and I think it's flawed. So, in, in alhamdulillah, the, the techniques I've I've been teaching is that those core fa- core f- core values that you've in, you've come to, those are just signposts. Now, what we need to do is what's what I call unmasking. And that takes three to four hours. For every single value, we unmask it to reveal the true hidden core value, right? Um, it's, like a, it's like a pearl that's hidden in a shell deep down under the water. And um, once that's revealed, then it's just like being reborn again, right? Uh, and, and of course, like I said, we connect those core values to the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, stillness or peace, for some people, it's a core value. It is for me, actually. It's one of my five. Um, linked to Allah's name, Al-Salam, right? Uh, another core value of mine is compassion and connectivity, which is Ar-Rahim, right? And so, um, yeah, so I think uh, to answer your questions, those are my core values. And I think core values is a topic that's extremely important uh, because it's all about discovering your core values for me at least, it's connecting them to Allah and then using them to contribute and to give and to be an instrument of positive change in society using the core values that Allah has gifted you. And of course, these can evolve and change and uh, grow over time. Beautiful, man. Um, the only reason why I said that, because we heard your story. We heard the transformations that you went through. Um, and I believe core values is kind of the um, fundamentals of who you are today and how you reflect it to the self. Um, who is Fahad today? So, Fahad is, um, a seeker a student a helper and um, ambitious I would say you know nice. ambition that's why I'm today I think it's an ongoing journey um of self-discovery and just because uh, you know enlightenment is something that you achieve right it's it's a process and you know my my uh, thirst for just seeking more and, and growing is, is never ending and yeah we try to contribute whatever we can That's in the limited time we have uh, to and not necessarily to leave a big legacy because you know I think that for some people is problematic you, sure. you don't actually need to leave a big legacy uh, you know this idea of living an extraordinary life I think that's overrated sure. right you are extraordinary already sure. right you are amazing already right so, so sometimes the simple things we do are extraordinary um, so even this because sometimes like when you push those ideas that you know, you need to achieve. You need to 
you those know, expectations. Yeah, yeah. And then for a lot of people, that can be a cause of uh, misery and, and depression because sure. they feel like, you know, I'm not worth it or I'm yeah. not good enough or I'm ordinary. I haven't achieved much and all that. True. Exactly, yeah. So based on who you are today, what's your message for the younger fed? I guess being grateful. Uh, a big message of that is being grateful for the fact that, um, you know, for, of course, number one, grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for blessing me with a wonderful uh, experience so far, right? Uh, given the ups and downs in life, right? That's part of the uh, journey, the whole adventure, I would say, yeah. Um, number two, being blessed with uh, wonderful parents who allowed me to be who I am today. I think that allowance was just unbelievable, right? And it's something that I want to also give back to my children, hopefully with my wife. I'm sure it does, looking at you proud. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just being grateful for the friends, the um, you know connections we've made throughout this uh, wonderful journey. Uh, you know, and we ask Allah to kind of uh, use us to help anyone out there who uh, would need support. We're here to support human beings who are created for interdependence. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's wonderful whatever we can do together and collaborate uh, to help one another in, in good times and bad times. Um, yeah, it's just uh, being grateful every moment. Yeah, definitely. Man, I really enjoy this talk, man. And thank you for all this. Um, where could people find more about you? Right, so if you want to listen to uh, some of the things I talk about, um, we do like a, a Quran kind of reflection session every Sunday. That's uploaded on our podcast, which is available on uh, the Apple uh, podcast, uh, Falaq TV, F-A-L-A-Q TV. Um, it's also available for Android users, and then they're also uploaded on YouTube. Um, otherwise, I can be reached at uh, fahad at falaq.tv, F-A-H-A-D, at F-A-L-A-Q dot TV. Right. Man, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I can't uh, stress how much I enjoy this. I see a lot of myself within that story. And I learned, I learned so much about it, Danny, um, that... I would cherish myself, man. So thank you so much for that. And um, thank you for everyone watching us. Um, this is the second chapter of um, Gentlemen, bringing the gentle back in men with my guest, uh, Fahad Sarwani. Um, thank you for being with us and thank you for your bringing out your authentic self. And um, I hope people will learn at least the wisdom behind all this and... Um, if you, if you want, you could reach him out, as he said, uh, in his channels. And thank you for bringing the gentle back in men. Thank you, Hamad. Pleasure. Thank, thank you. you.